This is episode 325 with certified running coach, strength coach, 234 marathoner, and member of the Boulder Underground team, Matt Meyer. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the goal of this show, strengthrunning.com, and our YouTube channel is to help you improve your running by getting stronger, racing faster, preventing more injuries, and achieving more of your goals. I'm the head coach of Strength Running, formerly a 239 marathoner, and a monthly columnist for Trail Runner Magazine. You can learn more about me at strengthrunning.com. And if you enjoy this show, then please support our partners who make all of these episodes possible. First is the Mobo Board. Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. This was invented by renowned physical therapist Jay DeSherry, and Mobo helps you stabilize your stance with an innovative rocker board that forces you to improve your stability with proper mechanics from the foot up. Stronger runners experience less wear and tear on their joints, so let's get strong and then use that strength the right way. Get yours at moboboard.com, and don't forget code STRENGTHRUN10. It'll save you 10%. We're also supported by the high-nutrient probiotic drink AG1. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available on the market today with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, AG1 is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune system supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. You can't be fast if you're not first healthy, so visit drinkag1.com Jason, and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop to make this part of your ongoing nutrition plan. See all the details at drinkag1.com Jason. My guest today is Matthew Meyer. Matt competes for Boulder Underground, a sub-elite crew of distance runners in Boulder, Colorado. He's a running coach, a strength coach, and just this fall at the Berlin Marathon, he ran a PR of 234.35. I'd be remiss not to mention that the day we recorded this episode, Matt also set a back squat PR of 265 pounds. Not too shabby for a marathoner, Matt. <laughs> Matt was also a guest in episode 268. We had met a few months prior during a running camp where he ran a workshop on powerlifting movements that are so beneficial for endurance runners like the squat and the deadlift. And if you're interested more in that topic, don't miss our complimentary strength series at strengthrunning.com strength. Today's topic of conversation is on the big buzzword right now the off-season. I see practically every running influencer talking about how important the off-season is, and I was admittedly confused. This term was not used in my eight years of running cross-country and track and being coached by more than 10 other coaches. Off-season is not a term used in the USA track and field coaching curriculum, nor is it mentioned at all in Jack Daniels' running formula. Pete Fitzinger's Advanced Marathoning, Steve Magnus's Science of Running, or Training for the Uphill Athlete with former podcast guest Scott Johnston. Now, my favorite training book of all time is Brad Hudson's Run Faster, and he does actually mention the term off-season, but he defines it only as a week off with plenty of cross-training. He also goes out of his way to disparage, quote, off-season slackers, end quote. So, I wanted to set the record straight on this topic because by using a casual phrase to describe a formal phase of training, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice. Having an off-season creates a permission structure to not run very much, to not train, or otherwise to just not have any kind of progression or structure. Matt and I talk more about rest versus easy training, addressing weaknesses, stress and its effects, detraining, and a lot more. Without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Matthew Meyer. Well, Matt, you're back on the pod, and I couldn't be more excited. So thanks for being here. Oh, absolutely. I wouldn't have missed out. So we were just talking a little bit offline about our topic for today. I'm super excited to get into this with you because it's just the hot topic right now in the running community. We're going to talk all about time off, rest and recovery, rest periods, base training, 
and where an off-season fits into all of that and what an off-season actually means to you. Uh, And I think you're a fantastic person to discuss this with because not only are you a running coach, but you're a strength coach and you're in the trenches. You just ran 234.35 at the Berlin Marathon, which I understand to be a PR, Matt, uh, though perhaps not exactly where you were hoping for. But regardless, congratulations. Thank you. It was, uh, if anyone hasn't, you should give Berlin Marathon a shot. It is beautiful. The city is fantastic. I met some great people out there. The race is well orchestrated. It's flat and it's fast. Oh, I feel like the even the road is a little soft. Like <laughs> that place is that place is meant for running. But it was um, squeezed a few seconds out of that PR. Um, was hoping for a little bit more, but you know, a PR is a PR is a PR. So we take that and actually looking at things that you talk about. Um, if I look at the cycle. It was a huge PR cycle for me. We're like holding consistent mileage. I think we had like three back-to-back 400-plus mile months of like just stacking big miles, feeling good with like the amount of quality and volume in there, like excited to take all that fitness and just keep building it, making it a stepping stone onto the next one. Yeah, well, I had I had such a fun conversation with you about a year ago talking about high mileage running, how you put together a 140-mile week, which is sort of just a, a fun case study. Uh, and one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you back on to discuss off-seasons is because, you know, uh, a, a little birdie came on my shoulder the other day and told me that you took about a month off after Berlin. And I understand it'd be about maybe three weeks or so, but... I want to talk about this idea of an off season, what it actually is. You know, I struggle with this because, you know, in all of my cross country and track experience in high school and college, I actually never had a coach use the term off season. And I I looked through Jack Daniels running formula, no mention of off season, USA track and field coaching curriculum book that I have no mention of off-season. And so everyone's talking about this new buzzword of off-season, but it's not really formally included in any sort of running education. So when you finish up a season, Matt, and you're thinking about time off, you know, give us a little bit of a 30,000-foot view of why did you take all that time off after the marathon? I mean, why not a week? Why not four weeks? Why not six weeks? What's your thinking there? And then, you know, maybe at a very high level, what is your definition of off season? Well, I love taking a little bit of time off. Um, We were talking earlier, I uh, fall into the category we would call like a 48 weeker. We've got 52 weeks in a year. I'm usually running for 48 weeks out of that year. Um, I tend to have like two big races a year. I'm a marathoner. So that's kind of the max you can hit um professionals are able to sort of toe that line a little bit more obviously they have different factors going on they're able to push that a little bit more but i tend to have two big races a year that i really try to peak for and then after that peak i take a little time off just to allow me to catch up allow my body to process all the work that i just did um if you've i've had anything sort of pick up throughout the cycle allows it to settle down give me a chance to really just kind of catch up from all that work that I did. So for this year, um, I took time after Berlin. I had been going, I took a really long block after CIM this last year. I had a challenging CIM and mentally more than I think than physically, like physically I was a little burnt, but mentally I really needed a break going into the year. So from, I've been running consistently, since about golly what is that like first week of february was about when we like it wasn't like the berlin build but i've been having a steady amount of mileage since february that is a long heavy block of of big miles and i had a little bit of a peak as uh into boulder boulder which was in may of that year this year when i'm saying that year a May of this year. And then I think I maybe took two days after that. Um, I was like a little extra rest, but then following Memorial day, it was go time. Um, 
So for me, this was uh, a bit longer than most of my normal builds. Um, I find that with myself, but with also anybody who's ran a couple marathons, you can get into marathon-specific shape pretty quickly, as long as you maintain a pretty good base of fitness. Like, the marathon's no different than any other race. It's like, what are the specific demands of the distance? So for a marathon, let's get really efficient um, at running one pace-ish for a really long time. Um, so to do that, like anywhere like 10 to 12 weeks, you can really get into like a good marathon specific build. So for this one, this ended up just being a lot longer of a build for me. And I felt, you know what, I'm going to take a little bit of time, let myself catch up, uh, so that I know I have a longer one coming up in the later year. Cause I'm, I'm running Boston in the spring. So I was thinking, I kind of uh, backcasted. So if I looked at Boston and realized what the next few months were going to look like, I knew I had a little bit of time to play with. So I was like, let's uh, allow it to settle in, get a little more comfortable, and we'll pick it back up. So like last week, I just started getting some workouts back in, nothing too spicy, a little bit of tempo effort, a little faster stuff, kind of just letting the legs get reclimatized to running faster, but certainly taking that time to let everything slow down for a second, I feel is one of the keys for me in overall consistency of the year. Like we talk about how you structure a week. I don't run every single day at a hundred percent. That would last not very many days, but if I focus on that periodization throughout the year, throughout my earth, throughout the week in this conversation, that translates to how I look at the month how I look at the year where it's like, I'd much rather have a long consistent cycle. And if that means I need to take a few extra days after my marathon, then that will, that's really where it comes for me. Where can this help my overall length and consistency of the upcoming training cycle? And Matt, it seems like the longer the training cycle or even the more intense the training cycle, the more you want some of that extra time off at the end of the season. Is, is that fair? No, totally fair. I feel like that's how I know I uh, ran a really good cycle is when you get right towards your taper and you really are excited for the taper and you're like, I'm kind of looking forward to a little bit of time off, a little bit of mental space to step away from running. I hope it, I think it keeps you fresh and excited about what you want to do. Just giving yourself a little bit of distance to really appreciate it. And that really highlights not only the physical recovery that's needed after a season, but the psychological recovery. And, and I remember that very viscerally from cross-country season in particular when I was competing at the collegiate level because the cross-country season was the longest season because you really started training in June and then you had your summer base training where the goal was really just mileage and good long runs and maybe doing some hills and tempo work, but not really getting too uh, far into the intensity side of things. And then you would have a very intense September, October, most of November. And by that point, I was just ready to sit on the couch and not really do anything. And I did not want to look at a track for no. a very long time. And, and I think not giving the mental side of things the the space that it needs is a big mistake when it comes to planning an off season when it comes to your rest and recovery after a season so you've had this good season then you take some time off uh i think you took three weeks off of running entirely and then you got back into some easy running it now that you're getting back into some easy running do you consider this your off season or are you like early base training, like, and I know we're just playing with semantics here, but like, how do you define things? I think that, like we were saying earlier, that off season is pretty hot topic. It's a, it's a very hot button word right now, but a good way to switch that, uh, like we're using semantics here, obviously, but let's, let's go for preseason. Call this your preseason, I think. And for me right now, I know that I have a very strength based marathon coming in the spring. Boston favors a strong runner. And so right now I'm using this opportunity. I'm getting like my, I'm starting to build up some mileage, building up some strength. We're starting to run a little bit of hill work, nothing crazy, but I am 
like my balance between running in the summer and my time in the gym is now getting a little more evened out where if I think like I have so much time in the week, like if I use up my kind of like pie graph, if I have so much time in training in the week, that ratio of how much time is in the gym versus how much time is out on the roads right now, that is looking a lot more even because I have, I just, if I'm not running as much, I'm like, all right, now is the time to really capitalize on this availability where I can spend more time in the gym. I can actually focus on getting strong right now before the mileage demands of the marathon are up here. Because when the mileage demands of the marathon are high, obviously we're still always going to prioritize our strength training, but that just affects the amount of like just how much time and energy I have in the week and how efficient I can be with that. So now is a chance I can really get that strength up before the mileage comes up. Matt, can I interrupt you real quick? I, I would love to just uh, highlight this because I think it's super valuable, but I, I don't want folks to think that you're barely running and you're spending six days a week in the gym, you know, <laughs> three hours a session. And so I, I find this to be super interesting because you are essentially periodizing your training in such a way where you are still training almost at the same amount, but the, the focus is different. So instead of running 110, 120 miles a week, whatever your peak mileage might be, you're probably running 70 miles a week, something like that, which to be fair is pretty easy still for good. you. Yeah. It's still good and mileage. You're still, still really mileage. stressing the aerobic system in a great way. Yep. But at the same time, now you're able to actually focus on getting stronger in the gym. Whereas, and this is the key distinction I want to make when you're running 115 miles a week in peak marathon training, and you're going to the gym, let's say twice a week, are you a little bit going through the motions, not really going for max lifts mm -hmm. or one rep max PRs on the squat? And not at all. Right. You're just th th that the demands on the body are too high at that point. Like right now, I personally, I'm going through a big squat build. I'm having fun with my squat, um, really trying to push a new squat PR, which is crazy. I pulled my mileage back. I've increased my days in the gym, and I've already bumped my squat PR from this time last year, I was putting up 205. This time, at the beginning of the month, it was at 225. And last week, I tested in at 245. So like, seeing how that adjusts, I now know that like, all right, I'm going to try to keep pushing that overall strength, but knowing that there's like an amount of resources that you can really use. Like when we're in peak mileage, it's more of a maintenance and durability thing. Like how are we maximizing, squeezing all the juice out of the week? How are we complementing our running right now? This is very much complementing my running, but like, I think the base is how do we get strong and durable going into the cycle. Yeah. And I think a good analogy here might be when you're in peak training, your mileage is up, you're getting in a challenging long run. Maybe you're doing two fast workouts a week. Your other runs, your recovery runs, your base runs. I'm not going to say you're going through the motions, but they're going to look a lot more slow, <laughs> you know, yeah. for lack of a better word. They're just going to be easy because you are putting your effort into those other days. And it's very similar to the way that you approach strength training when you're in peak marathon training. All of your energy and resources are really going to overall mileage, your long run, the workouts, and then, you know, whatever you've got left, you're sort of filling in the cracks with just getting in those easy base runs and getting into the gym a couple days a week to lift. But you're not focusing on it the way that you're focusing on those marathon specific days and those workouts. You build it like a pyramid, like the base of the pyramid. Like if you do this like hierarchy of needs where it's like the things that are most important is I'm like, all right, I'm prioritizing the long run. I'm prioritizing these workouts. And then it's like, I'm stacking each of these things on top of each other. And so like, when you look at how you structure your week, where say I have my like a big workout. I like to Monday workout. I know that's crazy. I don't know anybody else who does it, but we really like a Monday morning workout. So I'll do a workout on a Monday morning. And then I lift at like Monday at noon. Usually I get like a couple hours between, but that means I'm showing up to that lift 
pretty tired already. There's already that amount of fatigue that's in the legs. So you, that that is going to affect what your limits, like what your ceiling looks like in the gym that day. And that's totally fine. You just have to be aware of how much you're working with, like um, understanding like like what you what we can spend. Really trying to think like, all right, well, if I used this much in the morning, obviously I'm not going to be frustrated when I show up at the gym later. And I can't put up huge numbers, but knowing that it's still an essential part of the building block and it's still quality. However, that is very relative to what you did in the morning, what you did recently. This very much reminds me of uh, a conversation I had with another running coach talking about pacing and how when you get to be a more advanced runner, it's almost like you're a bike and you just develop more gears. Whereas when you first start running, it's like, Hard, kind of hard, and that's it. Yep, and then that's it, Matt. You you you're you're on a, like a thirty speed bicycle at this point. You know the difference between super easy, very easy, kind of easy, easy, and like everything in between. And, and it very much reminds me of this idea that you can get into the weight room and have a good workout while knowing it was so far under a hundred percent, and that's completely okay. Absolutely. Yesterday. Um my strength coach. So I'm a strength coach, but I also have a coach because it's always good to have an extra set of eyes. We were doing, um, we were working on some deadlifts yesterday, good trap bar deadlifts, my, my coach Keith and I, and I was pulling what would be uh, like, like 75% of my one rep max. So like very manageable efforts, but we were like, what is the goal here? What's the focus being aware? Like, just because I'm not running my mile PR pace doesn't mean that this isn't valuable. It's what's the focus, what's the goal, understanding like I need to exert this specific amount of exertion because this is in service of the greater goal. So we were talking about like this was a time under tension thing. We were doing some nice like slow eccentric deadlifts, really doing that time under tension on the posterior chain. Doesn't mean we're going to go for the heaviest possible thing we can. Yeah, I love that. And I recently had Keith on the podcast in episode 322 talking all hey, about Keith. yeah, foot health, movement, pronation, supination. He just has a really good head on his shoulders when it comes to thinking holistically about the demands for endurance runners. So if anyone hasn't listened to episode 322, it's a banger. So Matt, if we are reframing the off season as more of a preseason. It's not time off. It is getting you prepared for the demands to come in the future. Can we have an, uh, <laughs> I almost did it again. Can we have a preseason that is either too short or too long? How do you think about how long a preseason is? Uh, obviously it depends on kind of your schedule and what race that you're going after, but like you can you can make a mistake here and plan it way too short or way too long, right? Well, I, and again, like there's no it's not just one route to Rome on this for sure. That everybody has very very different. Uh, like, how long does it take you to get fit? How long does it take me to get fit? What does your schedule look like? Um, it's definitely something that we want to look at from that big picture. So, like, say we have a spring race on the schedule. Let's hit that spring race. All right. Look at the calendar. Give yourself enough time where like, I don't want to feel like I'm going to hit the beginning of marathon training. And it's going to be this uh, whiplash effect where I went from moderate mileage, like a little bit of mileage and a little bit of gym time to like, wham, big shift. We want to make this a nice soft curve. So making this all a deliberate decision of like, all right, I'm going to take some time like this. I'm going to take some preseason time, get myself fit. Maybe we set some preseason goals. I want to lift at least my body weight in my deadlift. Maybe I want to uh, focus on some lower leg health, uh, see what I can do to increase the load on my soleus, something like that. Um, increase my one rep max for my calf raise. Um, but realizing that we don't want to, just like any other marathon, build, undercook or overcook. Try to find that nice Goldilocks zone in the middle. Um, 
with that, I would say that it definitely comes down to a little trial and error. Um, Cause you'll find out that, Oh, I did this, like looking back on your cycles, you might've been like, man, I started training for this one a little too late or I showed up completely overcooked and I, trained a little too long for this one. So I would personally look back at some of your successful training cycles, see how long it took you to really feel confident and comfortable in what you were racing. Say it's 14 weeks of specificity. We're going to plug that 14 weeks on to the back of our marathon. All right, let's back cast to where we currently are. All right, so maybe I have six weeks of preseason build. Awesome. Let's take a nice week really comfortably, working our way back into it. Let's get some good heavy strength work going through here with some moderate mileage to maintain that aerobic fitness so we don't have to start from zero when we get back into our standard marathon training. And then that balance kind of shifts. So it's not like a on-off switch when we get into our standard training, but more of like that little bit of shift in power and balance. Yeah, it's like a light dimmer instead of an on-off switch. Love a dimmer. Love a dimmer. We want to live in like those shades of gray rather than black and white. Yeah, and you know, you, you talked a little bit about getting overcooked close to your race. you almost like peaking too early because you've started your training too early. You've just been training for too long. And, and this is certainly something that is possible. I think you can train too long and just peak too, too intensely early, yeah too intensely and, and that's where like I was, getting that intensity dialed in for the right time a hundred percent and that's where i was going with this question was was the intensity side of things you know i know we've been talking about marathon training we've been talking a lot about mileage levels but when it comes to getting overcooked or peaking too early i tend to think this is almost exclusively an intensity problem um but i would love to hear your thoughts on that I mean, I would totally agree with that. That's why I said it right away is it's less of a, I, th I think you can hold a pretty solid amount of mileage comfortably without overdoing things. Obviously, while we manage all the other low hanging fruit, we talk about our sleep, we talk about our nutrition, we do everything that keeps the wheels on the bus, but the overtrained, overcooked showing up to a race where you're feeling like, man. I feel like I peaked two weeks ago, as I'm sure there are listeners who have been in that exact position know, when you show up a little overcooked, you never want to do it again. And that usually comes from an intensity thing, where we just want to make sure that we are hitting the right amount of intensity at the right point in time, where it's, we don't want to be, we, we like, we, we talk about in training, you don't get fit the minute you run a workout, right? You get fit as you process a workout. So like we want to hit this peak of mileage, this peak of intensity far enough out from our goal race that we're able to taper down and allow that fitness to process. So thinking from that sort of angle, how do we make sure that we hit that peak at the right point. And I feel like I'm, I keep using Peter Atia's word on this one, back casting. It's the, I think it's the best way to set up a cycle where it's like, all right, if I need to be peaked at this date, I need to draw back my cycles of periodization from this point. It's, it's like very basic structure of training where it's like, I seem to make sure that I am hitting this amount of intensity at the right time. So just looking, I think a good way to look at it is we look at mileage in the week, but if you look at your intensity of my light, of mileage in the week, what was the amount of quality you ran? So not just, am I looking like, wouldn't that be nice if Strava had this extra feature where it's like, yeah, I ran 80 miles, but in that 80 miles, how many of these were at uh, threshold or above? So looking at that time in like that, that time of how much was this uh, quality mileage? How much of this was that higher intensity volume? And that's something that we want to like 
grow over time, making sure that we're not having these random spikes of intensity. Yeah, for sure. Because the the intensity is not only what is going to peak you too early, but you know, from an injury risk perspective, intensity is where most of the risk is. You know, I think number one on my list would be fast running, and then it would be building mileage for number two. And that kind of gets back to the fact that you can maintain a certain mileage level pretty comfortably if, if your body has adapted to it for a fairly long period of time. And the injury risk isn't super high. The risk of overtraining or peaking too early, I don't think is too high because the intensity just isn't there. And so, you know, anyone listening to this, I think being a little bit more cautious and conservative with the intensity of your training and also maybe staying away from the middle of the intensity spectrum in the early phases is probably a good idea. And, you know, you mentioned that you just got started with some workouts, Matt. You said you were doing some tempo threshold type stuff and then some short, fast work. And I noticed those are the two ends of the intensity spectrum. You're not doing 1,000, 1,200 meter mile repetitions at like your 3K race pace, are you? No. And like, do I want to do that right now? (laughs) Absolutely not. Do I ever want to do that? that. (laughs) Uh, Good point. Good point. But it's like, like um, last week I did, I think I ran a five mile tempo at like a very moderate adjusted pace. Like for me, 20 seconds slower than marathon. So like I was chilling, which it was just nice to be, I would like, if I was running that in the middle of a build, I would say that would be like an up tempo section I'd have in my long run. Sometimes I I really like to do up-tempo sections where you're like, all right, let's go take it an hour uh, moderate where it's not marathon pace, but you're not slouching. And that's really what that tempo felt like. So we're just getting used to, um, we're reintroducing longer bites. So the mileage is there, but the intensity is still moderated. So the volume we turned, we were turning that intensity down a little bit. Um, And then I was running like, 400s short stuff um if you asked me to go run 12s right now at that 400 pace it would not go well it would not go well but taking like these small bites of intensity are great so one of my goals in the spring is i'm really trying to run a spicy half i feel like that's going to be a good move for me to try to run something a little little short we we can't call half short um but a little shorter and how that's overall going to raise my threshold um which will hopefully play into the marathon but i was running quarters on the track around what i'm hoping to run the half at and knowing that i'm like all right little bites little bites we're staying out of the middle zone right We're not spending long periods there yet, but knowing that eventually I'm going to get there. Now, the next time that I I head to the track, I might be doing like 600s or 8s, but slowly growing that intensity little bits at a time. We don't want to make those big jumps, just like you don't want to make big jumps in mileage, avoiding making those big jumps in intensity as well. Yeah. And I think it's very encouraging too, Matt, that you're running these 400s at goal half marathon pace, which, which is not that fast. I mean, this is a pace that you're going to be trying to run for, I I don't know, an hour and nine minutes or an hour and 10 minutes. That would probably be a good half time for you, right? Be a great half time. What's the goal? I'd love to run an hour and nine. Nice. That'd be great. Anything under 70, I'd be super stoked with. Yeah. Like that's, that, that's, a pace that you can run for well over an hour. So on the one hand, it's it's somewhat of a sustainable effort for you. And so to run quarter mile repetitions at that pace, like you said, little bites. And I love that you're you're practicing this approach that is very strategic and very patient. I got to give a shout to my coach on that, Evan Schwartz. Um, that's something that we always talk about is like prescribed intensity. Just because you can run faster or you feel good that day doesn't mean you should, right? It's about like sticking within the plan, doing the work that's prescribed because there's always a plan to it. It's like, I'm so what? You might feel really good today. Awesome. If you finish with like three reps left in you, fantastic. 
that's what we want. That's how you maintain consistency. Yeah. I mean, I constantly, you know, think I'm Ian Malcolm in Jurassic Park. Like just because you can doesn't mean you should, or you're so preoccupied with whether or not you can, you never doesn't asked. mean that you actually should. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk a little bit more about rephrasing off train or off season as preseason, because now all of a sudden we are getting ready for the upcoming season. And that really changes the mindset of the athlete. And it seems like one of the major goals of this preseason phase of training is either working on a weakness or working on a specific physical goal that, that is going to be required of you in your upcoming season. So for you, Matt, you're getting ready for the Boston marathon. It's a very strength oriented marathon. Stronger runners are going to be better at Boston. So you're working a lot on strength training right now. Yep. What are some of the other types of weaknesses that runners can potentially work on in the, in the preseason? Because the way I look at it is it's either strength, endurance, or even speed. And depending on who you are, you could have a pretty good preseason where any one of those is the focus. Totally, totally. And if we look at it, like a lot of the times, I'm going to steal this from my coach, uh, people get stuck in a cycle of like of chronic marathoning. Say they do the same thing all the time and your body adapts really well because what does the body do? It recognizes patterns. We train, we adapt. Ah, fantastic. That's how fitness, that's how we accrue fitness. That's how we get faster is that we introduce stress, the body adapts to it and we get better. Now, eventually you introduce the same stimulus over and over. You're going to get those diminishing returns where if I've been running the same thing all over and over and over, eventually it's like, all right, well, I feel like I've squeezed all the juice out of this one. You're going to slowly, like, you're not going to be getting as many of those big returns. So using this preseason as a chance to get that new stimulus, to get something new in the system where, let's say it's speed. Say we are an aerobic monster where, like, if I put you out there, you can run all day and feel super comfortable. Fantastic. We love that. So let's introduce a shorter speed block. And with that, let's introduce some big strength where we're going to be like, all right, I want to see you moving heavyweight fast. I want to start to see what your plyometric work looks like. I'm going to see this over on the track as well. Um, let's see how this translates into like some of the shorter stuff that you don't work on. Because what is it? It's a said principle, right? Specific adaptations to impose demands. If you are someone who's really good at aerobic work, you've probably done a lot of aerobic work. And we don't want to lose that. That's the base we're going to build everything off of. But you have these other pillars that can build you into an even better, more well-rounded runner. So if your limiting factor is that is the speed, Let's take that preseason as a chance to pick up this like part of your house that's lacking. If it's your, um, say it's our endurance, say, say we, we struggle with our threshold work. Some people really like struggle in that mid zone where you're like, hey, I feel pretty good on the track for my 400s and I feel great on my long runs. But if you throw me in like a four mile aggressive tempo, I feel like I you you, you go really quickly. So it's like, all right, let's spend some specific time in your preseason focusing on that. Let's get some breathing work going with this as well. Um, taking these little steps to use the preseason rather than like, yeah, we want that mental break like we discussed earlier. Yeah, we want the physical break at the beginning. But then how can we show up at the beginning of our next season differently? Because if we just repeat the same thing over and over again, and we get the same results over and over again. That's just like confirming what we've already done. But using that preseason as a chance to work on one of those little spots, because you're not going to be able to have this flexibility when you're in the trenches of your race training. Use the preseason to really hone in on what that thing is for you. Like my preseason right now, I'm really trying to pick up some of that higher speed training. So it's been big, heavy lifts. It's that shorter hill work. It's 400s. It's like smaller things that 
I'm not going to focus on as much when I'm running the marathon. Yeah, this is great. Um, I, I think too that one of the reasons why I love talking to you, Matt, is that like I'm sure we could record a four-hour highly philosophical podcast on <laughs> how runners should think about training and all that, and mm-hmm. you know, would have a little cup of coffee with our pinkies up, and it would just be Ooh. wonderful. Let's get super specific. One of the things that you are working on right now is strength. So you are trying to lift more in the squat. That is a very specific specific application of your preseason goal. Yep. I'll use I'll use another example from myself. You know, I struggled with aerobic development because I got injured so much. So one of the things that I did in my preseason for cross country during, you know, my most successful season was I had a long build where I didn't have to rush my mileage. I did more strength training and a little bit of barefoot strides and drills, which I think specifically for me really helped. And I really focused on um, staying healthy in the long term. And then not only did that allow me to run mileage levels that I had never touched before, but I was also doing two to three hours of cycling and pool running every week. And so, you know, I was getting in 85 miles a week, three hours of all this cross training, plus I was doing barefoot strides and strength training, and I was even doing some barefoot drills. And I started that cross country season feeling so strong and unstoppable that I was like, why would, why didn't I do this before? You know, I I should have taken less time off from running at the very beginning and instead just started getting into some of those lower mileage weeks, which are the foundation for the moderate mileage weeks, which are the foundation for the high mileage weeks. And it's that little bite at a time approach, which finally enabled me to stay healthy and have the best season that I could. And so for me, it was a long build. It was uh, a fair amount of barefoot work. I did a lot of hill circuits as well, just constantly getting used to running uphill, downhill, I think really helpful for uh, my strength and injury resilience. And then a little bit of strength training and cross training. And I was so strong. And so I'm curious what other very specific areas to focus on, or even just very specific training strategies you might have in mind for some of these preseason goals. Like, this is something that um, Keith and I love to talk about, that we think about the funnel, right? The funnel is you put in training and outcomes fitness. But for a lot of people, something starts to leak. And like maybe it's your durability and pff, little leak starts to come out. And in a perfect world, training equals fitness, it's a very simple, this equals this, the time plus this equals fitness. Now, when you're saying you're like, I want to be able to handle more because obviously more training can equal more fitness. It can, but the caveat is you have to stay healthy. So how do we reinforce this funnel, the tube from training into fitness? And so it's like, all right, how do I increase my durability so that I can handle more mileage? How can I increase this so I can handle more intensity, so that I can handle more training, whatever it happens to be? So my spring, like my weak point in my funnel, for me usually, is my lower leg. Um, I have got, I've never had like, I, I know a lot of runners that are like, man, I have this problem in my hamstring or I have this problem in my glute. You can't really see me on the screen right now, but I've got really strong glutes and hamstrings. Those have never been an issue for me. I'm really durable with that. But my weak point is my lower leg. And so if we look at um, running forces, the greatest amount of running force is concentrated in that lower leg. So my big focus now is to make sure that my lower leg can handle the demands of the training that is going to come. So I'm doing, we've been doing a lot of work where it's like these long isometric holds under huge amounts of weight. I'm using a belt squat. I'm putting on, so I'm like holding all this weight 
focusing it on my midfoot, really trying to strengthen my midfoot stance. I'm trying to think, what is the point? Uh, and I got to really credit Keith again for this, that we think about where am I the weakest and where do we see the biggest amount of structural collapse in my running? And it's like at that mid stance, which is pretty true for almost everybody that that's where you're going to have the most amount of force on you is right at that bottom of your running stance. When I say mid stance, it's that point when like I'm fully compressed going through my stride before I'm about to take my next step. And if we look at that, how do you, to use Keith's phrase, own mid stance? So for us, that big part has been let's increase the strength of your lower leg. Cause that's my one thing that really like, if I have trouble in a cycle, it's like, ah, man, my calf is going again. I'm having this. So if you have like a reoccurring injury, let's get super hyper specific on what is the injury. And usually it's like, a, a just like the, the load management of that specific area. Like, do you have consistent lower leg pain? at some point in your cycle, well, it means that you've like reached your saturation point for that tissue. So how do we increase the ceiling? Let's train that one thing and we're going to really load it and load it and load it. And we're going to get it. So now where your ceiling used to be here at this amount of mileage and intensity, bam, now it can handle way, way more. So for me, that's been my big specific training is I'm trying to increase, like we said with the squat, so I'm increasing the amount of power and strength I can push in single reps. Along with that, it's complemented really well with long isometric holds in my lower leg. I also have a little bit of adductor issue every so often. So I've been focusing on my adductor, holding these for longer periods of time where if I can manage all this extra load, like holding like 150 pounds, cool. That should, that begins to translate into the demands of running. And we're just going to continue to grow that so that we're essentially bulletproofing this very specific part. Matt, let me switch gears a little bit and ask you, um, when it comes to your preseason, is there a, a period of time where you're in that preseason where you're either thinking to yourself, okay, I need to get my mileage in workouts back up to where they need to be, uh, or, or do you put all of your sort of your eggs in one basket and just say, you know what, we're just going to patiently continue this build. You know, I know you said it's not like switching a light, but I'm curious just like how long of a time you spend in this phase before you're like, I'm getting nervous. I want to get back to my full training. I, it, it, it's, it's definitely challenging because I feel like it changes from year to year. There's definitely uh, not like a hard and fast rule. I try to be in this zone for about like six to eight weeks for me, uh, knowing that that's enough time to actually see some strength gains. Like we talk about like strength and hypertrophy, you won't see changes in two weeks. It's that's fine. I love good two weeks of work, but it's not enough time for the adaptation. It's just the, the muscular system doesn't work like that. Um, so I like to go for like six to eight weeks of a very specific build. Like I still get, I'll still get good work done in four weeks, but if I want to like see this cycle through to its completion, I find six to eight. And then we're going to start changing this. And then we're going to start like, all right, I'm going to turn down some of the stress in the weight room, still keeping it there, but I'm going to turn up the stress in my running. Like we said, it's, it's, it's a dimmer not a light switch. So I think that six to eight week mark. So I'm coming up on that now. What is it? It's November 1st today. So I'm thinking, all right, I know I have a race personally in the first week of December, a little four miler, see how it goes. But in that, I know that the week that I'm in currently, my running starts to, it's going to start picking up this week. And 
that's timing out with today. I'm going to see where this squats at knowing that like, I'm not going to be able to push that to its like to its potential when I just ran like a huge workout in the, in the morning. It just, it just won't work out very well for me. When you think preseason, do you think this is a time period of running low mileage or do you think it's a time period of gradually increasing your mileage? That's, that's the difference. And this is the time period. Don't think about this as like buying in low and staying low, but think about this as like you said, I'm not going to, I don't want to go light switch. You didn't want to, if you look at your cross country season, if I can manage like a slow increase, each one of these, it's, it's, it's all about like uh, progressive overload. I'm going to stack it up a little bit at a time. It's not just I'm going to buy in at 30 miles and stay at 30, but like, okay, I'm going to start here. And then each one of these weeks, I'm going to build on it and build on it. Now, I might not be building as aggressively as I do during my full tilt run season. However, I'm definitely still keeping an eye on where that is at and intentionally turning up the heat. Yeah, this I think is is one of the crucial distinctions between your stereotypical off-season that I see talked about a lot, especially on social media, and what we are talking about now. Because this this preseason or off-season or base training, whatever you kind of want to label it here, one week of preseason is not equal to another week of preseason. In other words, if you look at week one of your eight-week preseason, it's going to look very much like a preseason training week. However, if you look at week eight of your preseason cycle, it's actually going to look more like normal training. So it's this gradual evolution over time of, I'm going to go from rest to very easy training to easy training while focusing on some of those weaknesses. And that's going to gradually build over time. And I think I have this, this issue with just a low mileage off-season phase of training because running ultimately is cumulative. And if we're not building and we're taking eight weeks of, you know, 50% reduction in mileage, and we're not really progressing too much within that time period, so much detraining is going to occur that the coach in me just gets super nervous that we are digging a hole that we're going to have to spend a lot of time to dig ourselves out of. And it's going to cost you more to get out of it than it did to get in. And eventually, like, I think that if we think about like time is our greatest resource in this, and it's also our most precious resource, because you can't just like find more time. There is a finite amount of time between today and race day. So understanding how much you have to use being like, I have X amount of weeks until race day, which means I can only increase so much per week without making this like a large shock to the system. So that informs how, like where we have to start that we can't start too low. Otherwise you're in a hole. I think this is a much more nuanced and more effective way of thinking about our preseason and and really what we're trying to do in this phase of training. Because ultimately, you know, if we don't know the answer to that question, it becomes very difficult to actually structure our training. We've got to know what we're trying to do out on the road, on the track, in the weight room, so that it can be properly structured. Um, last thing I want to talk to you about, Matt, is time off completely. Uh, you know, you took three weeks off. I generally recommend a week or two. Uh, I tend to think that you can do whatever you want after a marathon, Matt, because you're running 120 miles a week and I've seen some of your workouts and, and I, trust me, man, I don't want to be running those workouts next year. <laughs> <laughs> you're too kind. Um, so like, t talk to me about this idea of you're afforded more time off the more strenuous your training is. And almost like not you're afforded more time off, you need more time off. Owed. I think you're owed more time. Yes. And this is something that I feel like I get to have a, a cool eye on here in Boulder, Colorado, where we're surrounded by so many professional runners who 
what's their job? Run very hard. And like some of the people that I see run the hardest also take their time off the hardest where it's like something that absolutely grinds my gears is when I see someone ran a amazing marathon on a Saturday. Woo. Congratulations. And on Monday morning, they are in a spin class, something like that. And I'm like, no shade on spin class. However, stress is stress is stress is stress. So take that, like, we'll use the Ron Swanson quote on this one. You never half-ass something, half-ass a few things when you can full-ass something. So full-ass your recovery time. So like when I, when you take that off time, it's not a great, it's not the day to, and I sometimes have to tell myself this, it's not the day to go for, just because I ran a big marathon doesn't mean that the next two weeks are my chance to like go for a 150 mile bike ride. I know it's not running. It's not the exact same thing, but it is still stress on the system. So once you've like, if we hit an appropriate cycle where we really squeezed all the juice out of everything we could allow yourself, like if that was such a big peak, give yourself that really good Valley on the other side where we're going to allow ourselves to come back to fully recover, to process. Cause if, if we look at like, even if we look at a race, like a big workout, because it is, you want to process all that good work that you just did. How are we going to process that proper recovery? That fitness isn't going anywhere. So take the downtime and then you can actually like turn that around a little quickly into that preseason. So if we did like, say we took like four of these like pseudo weeks off or still like doing a lot of work, we're still doing things. We're still exercising hard. Um, you're not able to actually get back into that preseason appropriately because you didn't actually take your dedicated time off. Take the time off. It, I think it falls under the like easy days, easy, hard days, hard category where it's like we don't need to live in this gray middle zone of kind of both things. The marathon, the race was hard. It should be hard. It's if you're going for a PR, it means you've done something you've never done before. So that should be really hard, which means conversely, take the next few days, relax. I really like when I work with my athletes, I say 10 to 14 days afterwards, no running, no running, just relax and then come back. Um, but if you were able to like actually take that recovery time, like you're supposed to getting back on the horse doesn't feel as bad. Yeah, and I was admittedly a little bit hesitant to even discuss this aspect of time off because it, it almost makes it sound like, well, Matt Meyer runs 234 and 110 miles a week, so he can take three weeks off, but I've only run a 358, so I'm only allowed a week off. And it and it's not that at all. No. I, I think it really has to do with squeezing the juice. And that's an analogy you've used a couple times now. And it's like, it, it doesn't matter how much juice comes out. If your orange is dry, you need to take all that time off. Mm -hmm. um, do you think about this time off differently? If, if say your peak race of the season was a 5k? I would actually, if the peak race of my season is a 5k, it, and like this comes down to, especially if we're talking about someone who ran 358 in the marathon, that's time on feet, friend. Like, if we look at the amount of time a marathon takes, it doesn't matter if you are Calvin Kiptum, he still ran two hours and that's still a hard two hours that he ran versus a 5k. There's a reason why if we look at like the professional world of running, why the diamond league can have consistent meets frequently. And it's why if you're a miler, you're able to take multiple swings at your race. You just line them up every weekend. You know what? I missed my goal this weekend. I got one another week and then another two weeks after that. The marathon is unique in the length and the amount of stress. So say I'm running a 5K. 
I don't have to take nearly as much time off because though the training might be excellent and the training is also like its own kind of challenge, the amount of time on feet is just very different. So like, say you run that excellent PR 5k, that's your A race. Love it. Take a little time as you move into your next season, but realizing that that amount of time on feet is not the same as in the marathon. So you can come back a little sooner. Yeah. That's a good distinction to make because obviously not everyone is a marathoner and the recovery demands are different based on the race distance. Uh, and yeah, I, I think this is true almost universally. Whereas if you run a 100 mile ultra marathon, you know, take a month off afterward, you know, mm-hmm. get, get super out of shape. <laughs> like we, we, we look at, look at, um, Courtney Dewalter where she, so she was able to string together multiple record breaking, incredible runs. And then what did she do? Hard stop at the end. After UTMB, she took a hard amount of time off because of the demand, obviously, that's a lot of time on feet for those races. That's a lot of time on feet. I don't even, that's like moving out of my area of expertise where I'm like, wow, that's a, that's like so many hundred. I gotta, I'd have to do more research, but, um, realizing that stress is stress and you have to take the time off to catch up after a big peak that allows for that good Valley. Matt, this has been one of my favorite conversations, uh, just talking about all of these different aspects of recovery and base training and, and preparing for future training and switching between labeling this time period and off season to a preseason and, and how that, I really don't think that's just a semantic difference. It really prepares you for the challenges of that cycle of training. I think it was just super interesting Definitely, uh, I think, shifted how I think about certain aspects of this phase and hopefully has given our listeners a little bit more structure that they can put around their preseason rather than their offseason. And I think most importantly, it's this idea of even if you're in this offseason or preseason, you are still building. It is not just this blank check to run 10 miles a week and you do that for eight weeks. The next thing you know, you're in this huge fitness hole that you've built for yourself. So thank you so much for shooting. Uh, <laughs> let me keep this PG for talking some shop with me today Anytime. and uh, just getting a little philosophical on this. I love it. Yeah. Using that, like, that's like, I think the big recommendation I'd have coming off of this is like, we are so good at setting goals for races, set some preseason goals. Like, Use that time. We're not going to end up in a fitness hole, like you said. Use that time to set a like measurable goal for the preseason, whether that's time in the gym, whether that's maintaining this like base mileage, whatever it is. Have something you can check off at the end of preseason in the exact same way that you can check off at the end of a race. I often talk about training PRs. I love yes. training PRs. Love training PRs. Preseason seems to be the time to go after one or two training PRs. Huge. I love it. Okay, there we go. Matt, thanks for your expertise and your time today. Uh, If folks want to follow along with your build, uh, I know I enjoy seeing what you're up to sometimes. Can we find you on the internet somewhere? Of course. Um, You can always find me on Instagram at Matthew Luke Meyer. Um, I'm there. You can also find me in person. I work in Boulder, Colorado at Revo Physiotherapy. I'm a strength and conditioning coach up here. And you can always follow me along on Strava. I try to post witty captions sometimes and occasional memes. So, you know, we're out here having a good time. I love it. You're having a good time while working super hard. That's the ideal, right? Always. Hard work is good work. Thanks, Matt. You bet. And that's our show today, my friends. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to pay it forward, please rate and review the show. You can share it with your running friends or club or go on strengthrunning.com and invest in a training program for yourself. You can also support our sponsors who help me keep the lights on over here. Use their links and discount codes to support the Strength Running Podcast. First is one of my favorite strength and performance tools, one that I have personally myself, the MOBO board. 
Go to moboboard.com and use code STRENGTHRUN10 to save 10% on your board. The Mobo Board was invented by renowned physical therapist Jade Sherry, and it helps you stabilize your stance with a rocker board that's set up on these two fins. And there's a hole where your four little toes are supposed to be, which effectively forces you to drive your big toe into the board to improve your stability. If you want to learn more about stability, you can hear Jay and I discuss that in episode 275. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but it was just so hilarious. I went into using the Mobo board for the first time pretty arrogant, maybe, or let's just say confident (laughs) the first time I was using it. And I just thought, how hard can it be to balance, right? Well, I was humbled pretty quickly. Even if you're a very good runner, better balance, stability, and proprioception are all going to help you have a more powerful stride and prevent more running injuries. You'll learn how to improve the efficiency of the kinetic chain from your hip all the way down to the big toe. Because as Jay likes to say, it's not just how strong you are, but how well you use that strength. Save 10% with code STRENGTHRUN10 at checkout at moboboard.com. Again, that's STRENGTHRUN10 at moboboard.com. I'm also grateful for the support of AG1, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition super simple. Now, I personally struggle with eating healthy all the time because I just love convenience and I love any kind of comprehensive, simple solution. So I'm finding AG1 really helpful to help me optimize my health by giving my body what it needs. You can learn more about it at drinkag1.com Jason. One scoop gives me 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And with all three of my kids in school, I know I've got to support my immune system because I'm no match for little kid germs, especially in the fall. But what I really love about AG1 is that it changes. Over the last decade, they've made over 50 different improvements to the formula based on the latest research to make all those nutrients more absorbable so you get more out of it and the product more rigorous with all the third-party testing that they do. Go to drinkag1.com Jason, and you'll see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You're going to get a year's worth of free vitamin D, which also supports your immune system, and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Now, I know that we're getting into the fall months where it's a lot darker. If you're not supplementing with vitamin D, you should talk to your doctor about it, but it's probably a very good idea. And AG1 is making it super simple. You can sign up for a single shipment to try it out, or if you wanted to get it on a monthly basis so that AG1 is a part of your regular healthy lifestyle, you can do that too. Go to drinkag1.com Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show this week, my friends. I so appreciate you being here for being part of the Strength Running community and all of your support. We'll be in touch. 